The nation's capital has more COVID cases per capita than any other state or territory in the country. City leaders reacted swiftly with a slate of new pandemic mandates and policies. It all started Monday. We have breaking news. Mayor Bowser and the district declaring a state of emergency and putting the citywide mask mandate back in place. A day later on Tuesday. This just into the WTOP newsroom. The D.C. Council says eligible D.C. students have to be vaccinated against COVID during this surge in cases. And then on Wednesday. We start with the breaking news out of the district. Starting next month, restaurants, bars, and other businesses where people gather will be required to ask their patrons for proof of vaccination. How did we get here? And what does this all mean in our fight against the pandemic? WTOP digital editor and writer Scott Gelman followed all these changes step by step. He joins us this week to walk us through it all. So Scott, this past week was momentous as far as COVID news goes in DC. And I don't use that word lightly at all because I can barely count with my own two hands all the COVID rule changes and COVID records that were broken in DC in the past seven days. And despite this avalanche of news, you and your astute Twitter feed happened to catch it all. So before we dive into all of that, can you just let us know really what led up to this momentous week of COVID news and COVID records? Around Thanksgiving time, the mayor saying, you know what, before the holidays, we're going to lift the indoor mask mandate, which had been in place for really the duration of the pandemic. And until November, the mask mandate in D.C. has been in place in crowded indoor settings with very few, if any, exemptions. And that really sets the table for what the last few weeks have looked like. Right, right. And so now it's December 20th, Monday morning, and Mayor Bowser calls for a COVID-19 situational update, which I think all journalists at this point know some news is going to happen. And by 11.44 a.m. that day, you tweet out, you know, the first big COVID policy of the day, which is, quote, D.C. Mayor Bowser to reinstate citywide mask order. So this mask mandate comes back. Is this the same one that you just described? It is. It is indoor masking requirements in crowded indoor settings. And uh, the mask mandate on public transportation like metro, metro bus, uh, planes, Reagan Airport, none of that ever went away. But this is bringing back the indoor mask mandate for restaurants, for indoor venues, uh, for bars, and, and for largely other indoor spaces where we know that transmission of the virus occurs more regularly than it may outside or in other places. Right. And did she answer the question of why now? Weren't there calls from D.C. Council to put this mask mandate back in place earlier? So when you go back to uh, around Thanksgiving, so it was uh, anticipating a potential surge of cases around Thanksgiving uh, because people were going to be gathering. It was going to be Thanksgiving unlike 2020 when many folks remained at home. There weren't widespread vaccines that were available. And there were many people who were frustrated at the fact that the indoor mask mandate in D.C. was lifted before the holidays, before Thanksgiving, and then the other winter holidays. And D.C. Council, several members of D.C. Council sent the mayor a letter urging her to reconsider, simply saying, let's wait until the new year and see how things look. All of that was dismissed. And then you have, as, as you said last Monday, where the mayor reinstitutes the indoor mask mandate, and she's asked the question, why now? The answer that she gave was, I, I don't regret um, evolving with the virus, which is what, exactly what we've done throughout 
um, the virus. So as conditions warranted, we've changed our interventions and we were changing them again. In other words, we're going to play this based on what we know right now and uh, basically putting aside the criticism and people who are frustrated with the initial decision to lift the mask mandate saying, it would be irresponsible of me to not reinstate it. And so now you're back in a place where acknowledging that perhaps whether it was the best move or not, saying that we're evolving with the virus, and now you have an indoor mask mandate again citywide uh, in D.C. And just to refresh all of our memories, at this point last Monday, were cases really spiking or was this before that insane spike that we saw? There were. So before Monday's press conference, it was really the Wednesday before where D.C. saw over 500 new cases reported, and that was the most that had been recorded in D.C. in a single day since March 2020, since the start of the pandemic. That number continued to rise again throughout the rest of the week, and then you get to Monday, and the, the Monday data showed that there were thousands of new cases divided up over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and the district doesn't release data over the weekend. And so when you look at all of those numbers, it was almost inevitable from a uh, public safety standpoint, from a policy standpoint, to say you cannot have an indoor mask mandate when we know that health experts, including uh, Dr. Laquandra Nesbitt with DC Health, have been adamant that it is one of the most effective ways, in addition to vaccination, to prevent transmission. Okay, got it. Let's go back now to this Monday meeting. It's been four minutes since the mask mandate was reinstated, and Patrick Ashley with DC Health takes the mic. He then announces that thousands of free rapid tests will be available at DC libraries in the coming days. Why did it take so long for these free rapid tests to become available? And how does this new program work? This is something that we've seen several DC area jurisdictions do. And it's something that in particular, DC council member Christina Henderson had been calling for, uh, pointing to some of the surrounding jurisdictions. So uh, the library program for rapid tests has been incredibly popular in places like Fairfax County, Alexandria and Virginia, Anne Arundel County, in Prince George's County. I mean, all of these neighboring jurisdictions, Montgomery County, Maryland, most recently rolled one out. And all of these council members were now saying, What's the deal with this? Why are we not doing this? This gives you the opportunity to swab yourself and in 15 minutes know your status. And we do know that uh, while PCR tests for COVID are known to be sort of the gold standard, that these at-home rapid tests are a really good point-in-time indication of contagiousness, of whether you're potentially going to get somebody else infected and sick. So the real problem with DC Health in terms of why they weren't doing this is the answer repetitively was we're trying to get enough tests, right? And the tests that they did have on hand were being used to control and get a pulse on the situation in congregate settings. So think DC jail, for example. And so because of a lack of tests, there really wasn't an opportunity to institute a program where these were made available free to the public. But then you fast forward where suddenly DC says, we have thousands of tests on hand and we are ready to deploy these at all of these libraries across the city for free. All you have to do is either have a DC driver's license or uh, show a piece of mail with your DC address and you are entitled to picking up a test kit and, and you could do so in theory uh, as frequently as, as you feel is necessary. There's a cap on the number you can get per day. But this really, from a public health perspective and, and Patrick Ashley with DC Health has said as much, really changes the game in terms of knowing your status right away and also cutting down on potential transmission because you know right then and there in that point in time whether you're infectious. Right, and there was a sense that 
you know, these rapid tests were difficult to get. I think most DC residents have experienced trying to figure out where to get these tests at Walgreens and CVSs and all that. And then these tests seemingly come out of nowhere. I mean, just thousands of them. Where do they come from and how much they cost? Yeah, so there is a whole lot of different potential uses for uh, these rapid tests. And, and so they're being purchased from a private vendor. And the mayor actually spent $50 million in an announcement last week said that there are 5 million more rapid tests that have been purchased or in the process of being purchased by D.C. Health and the D.C. government uh, to complement the preliminary million kits that have been ordered. So uh, we know that President Joe Biden and his administration have fast-tracked this, uh, really tried to get to ramp up production in terms of getting these into people's hands, making sure that there's not a shortage that we've seen during the holiday time, and also really using these in different ways. So uh, you described one, one program where these are available at libraries. DC has also set a fraction of these aside and said there's not going to be any school on January 3rd or 4th so that teachers and staff and faculty can come take these rapid tests and pick them up and know with certainty that on January 5th, when classes in person in DC public schools are scheduled to resume, that there is not somebody who is actively carrying the virus at that point. So there are a whole lot of different uses for these at-home rapid kits, uh, but it does not seem like, at least in terms of the government's allotment, that there is much of a problem of attaining them at this point. Mm. So the tests were rolled out at DC libraries the Wednesday before Christmas, one of the busiest travel days. How did this new testing program play out in the days before Christmas? Did it work? So there were lines like you would not believe, right? And there were several reasons for that. The most obvious is people are traveling for the holidays, whether it's locally, nationally, people want to make sure that they are safe to spend time with their loved ones for the Christmas holiday, for New Year's. So there were lines for that purpose. But then you also factor in the fact that DC Health actually gave each library an allotment and gave out, in the first days of this program, gave out more tests than had been allotted. So there, they have so many of these tests on hand that they were actually giving out more per day than they had planned to. And a lot of that is a surge in demand because of holiday travel, but the other factor is a very simple understanding that cases are on the rise and there may be sick people walking around who are unable to get a test at a private venue or at a CVS or Walgreens or may simply not be able to afford it because these tests still range from 14 to $24 for uh, one or two of them, depending on where you go. Uh, I think city officials would tell you it was successful in terms of getting tests into the hands of people who need them, but there were still lines. And it just goes to show you that many people still want to know their status, still want to get the at-home test kits, and that because cases are surging, you're, you're in a circumstance where people really want to know, am I infected? Am I sick? Is this the flu? Is this a cold? Or is this COVID? And do I need to isolate? Right. Yeah, I think the demand is still incredibly high. All right, so back to the same meeting. We're still in the same meeting. It's not even noon yet on that same Monday. And you tweet out, quote, DCPS will be closed January 3rd and 4th so families and staff can pick up and use these rapid tests that we've been mentioning. So if you could expand a little bit more on this January 3rd and 4th closure and how it relates to what you were saying earlier about those tests. The big picture here is test to stay is a strategy that prevents unnecessary quarantine times and allows kids to continue to learn in person. So the reason that's relevant here is DC is not pivoting to test to stay, but by giving away these kits on January 3rd and 4th, what they're basically doing is saying, we want to know who is infected and who may not be, 
And because of that, we're going to hope to keep the numbers down when in-person classes resume on January 5th. And, and I can tell you, after conversations with some parents and faculty, that there is a bit of concern here. As, as great as it is that many people are saying that they're making these kits available, that they are free, there's some concern because teachers and, and parents feel like this is not a requirement, and, and Chancellor Lewis Farabee at the same press conference that we've been talking about said as much, right? It is strongly recommended, but it's not required. And so in theory, you would hope that many of these students are going to be going back to the classroom on January 5th, knowing whether they are carrying the virus or not. But in theory, there is no way to verify whether those rapid test kits were used for their intended purpose or really used at all. Right. And all this is in the context of Prince George's County going virtual for quite some time until January 14th. Is the message from DCPS that they're still going to really work to be in person? It is. And, and health officials you know, continue to be adamant that in-person learning is essential, that virtual learning didn't really work. And, and so the message, uh, especially from some of the top infectious disease experts, health officials, really has emerged to be schools need to be the last thing to shut down. And so if you're going to shut things down and you're going to pivot to virtual, that bars and restaurants and theaters, none of those things should be open. Schools should be last. And that's really been the message from D.C. As recently as last week, Mayor Miro Bowser said, we are thinking about schools every minute of every day. And, and there are many parents and teachers who are frustrated about testing, about the number of cases in D.C. that have skyrocketed in schools in the few days before Christmas. But at the end of the day, the ultimate goal of this administration continues to be the goal of keeping kids in school is essential. And if you are going to go virtual, as, as Prince George's County in Maryland did, that needs to be the last resort. Got it. So the Monday meeting is now over. It's done. Over the next two days, we see cases continue to exponentially grow, like a straight line. And we also see a number of D.C. public schools close because of outbreaks among students and faculty. And they just close in the final days before the winter break. This then takes us to Wednesday, when D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser calls for another COVID-19 situational update. And your trusty Twitter feed marks the time, 12 noon exactly, pretty much two days after she reintroduced the mask mandate. At this time, she introduces a vaccine mandate that requires anyone over 12 years old to show proof of vaccination when entering an indoor business. Can you give us the details on this mandate and what really caused the mayor to take this big step? So this basically means that by January 15th, to go to all of these places, and we're talking about gyms and venues and restaurants, and there's a very exhaustive list, you are going to be asked and expected to have at least one vaccine dose, right? And then in February, you're going to be asked and expected to have a second vaccine dose. And there's a booster element and uh, on and on and on. But really the bottom line here is getting unvaccinated people vaccinated. And the mayor and Patrick Ashley with DC Health said as much, right? This is geared toward limiting community transmission, keeping schools open, and really incentivizing vaccines. And DC has done a lot of incentivizing vaccines. I mean, they have done uh, cash gift cards. They have done AirPods. I mean, they have really run the gamut in creativity in terms of trying to get people to take this vaccine. And so now you are at a point where in the new year, in 2022, it is going to be incredibly inconvenient to be an unvaccinated person in Washington, D.C. And is it fair to say that this incredible increase in cases 
spurred on all these changes, this mask mandate, this vaccine mandate. There's no way to know for sure because we're talking about the emergence of a new variant, but one thing that all of these situational updates that we've been talking about and referring to have in common is before we're talking about things like masks and vaccines and mandates and schools and tests, all of these situational updates start with data with regard to cases, with regard to vaccination, with regard to hospitalizations, which many health experts say uh, is just as important, if not more important of a metric to watch in the midst of this new surge of cases, uh, is are more people getting hospitalized. But when you look at all of these decisions, they are largely, if not totally driven by this sudden spike in cases. And I think you saw these two announcements, the return of the mask mandate, in addition to this vaccination mandate, within two days of each other because things were getting out of control very quickly in terms of community spread. There was a New York Times graph that listed the top places of new cases and DC was right up there. And so you're looking at a circumstance where people are getting sick and people are looking to city leadership and saying, what is going to be done? And the mayor's office basically said, we're seeing this uptick in cases here's how we're gonna handle it. And so the return of the masks and this new vaccine mandate and really doing everything to make schools safe after winter break, all of that is a direct result of this surge that in terms of raw number of cases, which again, we don't know what those will turn into, if anything, but the raw number of cases in this case really sparked some of these changes. Right, and DC Mayor Muriel Bowser wasn't the only one that was reacting to this huge surge that we're seeing. The D.C. Council also voted to require vaccines for students. Can you tell us about that legislation and what it means for D.C. schools? In October, we were talking a lot about schools and and COVID cases and this bill that had been introduced to the D.C. Council that would require students to be vaccinated. And at the time, we were talking about it in a way that made it seem a bit abstract. It was a hypothetical, it was just getting drafted and introduced, there was a public hearing, and there seemed to be some mixed feelings. Well, now you fast forward, it's introduced, one vote, two votes, and you reach a circumstance where this rise in cases suddenly prompts DC's council to say, you know what, we're going to push this through, and they did. So what that does effectively is requires everyone who is eligible for an FDA fully approved vaccine. So not just emergency use authorization, but the full approval process, which right now is everyone 16 and older is eligible for that. So we're really talking about high school kids right now is required to get the vaccine by March 1st of 2022 with enforcement coming in the following fall at the beginning of the 2022-2023 school year. The goal of this is to basically say, you will already get a series of shots to be a person that attends DC public school. Let's make this a part of that package. And it's a really interesting concept from an equity perspective because pretty recently DC passed a bill that requires all of its legislation that's even considering to be reviewed by this committee that decides whether it's equitable, uh, whether it will be fairly enforced, what possible ramifications are. And when this bill was going through that process, the backlash was this is going to negatively impact minority and particularly black students. Because 
what you're going to do is you're going to be pulling out students who are not necessarily likely to be vaccinated, perhaps a more vaccine hesitant population. And so suddenly, what are you going to do? Are you going to just pull those students out of school and tell them they cannot attend school, public school in DC? And there's a, a health expert uh, from Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health that I spoke to, Dr. David Dowdy, and I asked him that exact question about, is this gonna become the normal? Because when this bill passed, this is the first of its kind in the DC region. There is no other jurisdiction Montgomery County, Prince George's, Fairfax, and Virginia, and Loudoun, none of these other jurisdictions have even broached the topic of considering something like this, let alone pass it and, and get it into law. And Dr. Dowdy basically said the same thing that the report said, which is, it could become a requirement, but how are we going to enforce it? Because are we going to pull out students who may not be vaccinated? And that's the big question, but this uh, really focused on keeping students in school and safe and cutting down community spread and, and spread in schools. There is also a component for early childcare workers and settings like that. And most interestingly, DC actually just updated its government requirements. So now all DC government employees are required to not just have two doses, but also that booster shot uh, in order to be considered fully vaccinated in DC. So th this is really a a game-changing, first-of-its-kind piece of legislation in the D.C. region that I think we're going to be talking a lot about in 2022, but we're not talking a whole lot about right now because it, it really just got caught up in that in-between session between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Well, thank you for catching us up on that. And you kind of address this, but do you think that legislation and the vaccine mandate will reverberate to the satellite counties around D.C.? Well, it only takes one, right? So, the way that we tend to see things happen, regardless of, of who goes first, is it only takes one jurisdiction to say, this is what we're going to do. We saw it with Test to Stay, right, in Montgomery County, Maryland. Now Fairfax County is requested to do it as part of a big pilot program in Virginia. It really only takes one county to, to say something like this. Now, it's going to be interesting what, if we're talking about this in January 2022, or if this is going to be a discussion that has had into the spring of 22 and through the summer so that even though no other jurisdiction is really talking about this right now, it is still on the radar and still on the table to be a requirement in that 22-23 school year during which probably the FDA will give full authorization to the vaccines for everyone five and older. All right, Scott, thank you for catching us up on all of these COVID policy changes in D.C., as we go into 2022, this third year of the pandemic, what are you keeping your eye on with these COVID policies in mind? You know, it's important to note that a lot of this COVID policy is coming based on what's happening on the ground, right? So we're not really seeing these changes just to make a change or just to make a political decision. A lot of these changes are the result of conditions that are changing during the pandemic. And, and the mayor has said as much um, but, but I will say, you know, you really do see in a lot of these press conferences that there is a lot of understanding and a lot of data that really goes into these decisions. And I think sometimes people forget, you know, the mayor's sister died of COVID-19. So this is, this is a personal situation for her. And it's just really interesting that we've really continued to evolve different stages of the pandemic. And, you know, no one really knows what the beginning of 22 is going to look like. And um, I think that a lot of these changes are some reason for optimism for folks as we uh, continue to make our way through this surge. 
Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. On Sunday afternoon, Howard County, Maryland, reinstated an indoor mask mandate following a spike in cases due to the Omicron variant. That same day, the nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, gave welcome news that Omicron looks to be less severe than the Delta variant. But he told ABC News that this is not a reason to become complacent about this new variant. The data from the UK and uh, particularly Scotland and England, two separate studies, really confirm that. They're seeing less of a severity in the form of manifestations by hospitalizations. The issue that we don't want to get complacent about is that when you have such a high volume of new infections, it might override a real diminution in severity. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Luke Garrett. Our cover art was created by cartoonist Audrey Garrett, and our music is courtesy of Lockspeed. Join me next Monday as the world recovers.